630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He blitzes right past Marshawn to the net. Dishes one timer score. Leon Dreisaitl. What a play by McDavid. Dreisaitl's got it back. 10 seconds to play. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Well, right now, there are five teams remaining in the hunt for the Stanley Cup. After tonight, it'll be down to four. Game seven, San Jose Sharks at home. To the Colorado Avalanche, the winner will meet the St. Louis Blues in the Western Conference Final. The Blues with a thrilling 2-1 overtime win, double overtime win that is. Patrick Maroon with the winner, the hometown boy uh, from St. Louis. So, great series. Actually, all of them have been pretty good. Well, you know, Carolina Islanders, not great. The story's great. You gotta love the story, but uh, I think the two Western Conference series have been the best, and this will be a lot of fun. I tell you, it's a it's a pick'em tonight. It's a pick'em. Be a lot of fun. We'll update you on that game, uh, which starts in an hour from now. Tomorrow night, Eastern Conference Final. Boston Bruins at home to those Carolina Hurricanes. You have it right here on 6:30. Jed, home of the Conference Finals and home of the Stanley Cup Final. Hey, it's Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins tonight. I gotta thank straight away uh, Brendan Escott for picking up more duties and he's had a lot of duties he's had to pick up this week uh reed wilkins is on vacation uh, morley scott's on vacation uh planning to go into work yesterday um 2 30 in the morning woke up didn't feel very well at all and then it just got worse and ended up in the hospital blah 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 I was there for nine and a half hours lovely so thank you very much for brendan uh for filling in last night on a very dramatic day yesterday with ken holland well dramatic as far as you know maybe not the story the magnitude because we knew it was coming but uh still some very interesting things said by ken holland so uh brendan thank you very much for your help uh things are back to normal as i say good evening to kellen kennedy well good evening dave it's good to have you back and what's going on edmonton i'm like the undertaker i'm sitting up so there you go. <laughs> By God, King, he ain't dead yet. <laughs> Is it uh, still stormy out there? Out of the, uh, I see the six thirty channel. Bit, yeah, um, yeah. The rain has stopped here on the south side from my uh, vantage point, but uh, we might uh, be off and on with showers all night long here. So, uh, as Jalen was saying last hour in the afternoon news, if you've got uh, kids that are doing the baseball thing or the yeah. soccer thing tonight, uh, phone the coaches and find out as much information as you can because there could be some cancellations tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking outside at the uh, 630 Ched weather trees, which was uh, coined by uh, an old uh, teammate of mine at this station, Larry Barris, and uh, the weather trees are still. So there you a go. A little bit of wiggle, but not much. Yeah, not much. So there you go. Um, so we'll see what happens. But yes, uh, check out all that information on the sports fields and make sure that uh, your game isn't uh, canceled, moved, whatever. So. Perfect night for game seven. Absolutely. This will be a lot of fun. It's been a very close series. And I don't know if Joe Pavelski is going to play. That's what we're watching for right now. Uh, Joe Pavelski hasn't played since getting plunked in the head by, well, 
<laughs> back to that controversial play. Cody Eakin got the five-minute cross-checking major, if you remember correctly, yeah, which led to four San Jose Shark power play goals, which still was a joke, in my opinion, of a call. Unprecedented. Unprecedented, yes. I haven't seen it before, and hopefully we never see it again, but, man, that was, that was a history-making moment for yeah, sure. It sure was. Yeah, no doubt about it. But Joe Pavelski has been out since... Uh, Game 7 of that uh, first-round series of the Vegas Golden Knights with a concussion. Um, he's been skating the last few days. Was probable or uh, possible for Game 6. Didn't happen. Tonight, uh, we watch. We watch to see if Joe Pavelski will enter the lineup. And in a game where, you know, the Sharks got to play their game like they played in Game 5, which means neutralizing the big guns of the Avalanche. Nathan McKinnon, Mikko Rantanen, and Gabriel Landeskog, who scored the winner in Game 6 in Denver to force a Game 7. One shot on goal and no points for Nathan McKinnon back in what was a very closely contested Game 5. It's been a very good series. But if the Sharks cannot contain the rush chances, it's going to be a long night. As good as that Sharks defense is, that line and those three can take over a game, especially Mr. 29, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, elsewhere on the uh, docket tonight, uh, the Major Leagues of Baseball. <laughs> wow. I shouldn't laugh, but I can't help it. Uh-oh. I, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. And maybe the guy who called me on Monday about, you know, waited four years to tell me how wrong I was about the Blue Jays because they made the playoffs two years in a row. Yeah, okay. Uh, tonight. Wow. Explain this one. 5 nothing, 5 nothing. Minnesota Twins over the Toronto Blue Jays in the top of the third inning. This is somewhat humorous, not humorous in a good way, because the Jays haven't scored a run yet in this series. 8 nothing in the first game on Monday. They lost 3 nothing yesterday, and now they're losing 5 nothing. Okay. That's interesting. Trent Thornton's already in the bullpen, or in the uh, dugout. He's done. Unreal. Yeah. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not playing tonight. And Vladdy Jr. is getting the uh, School of Hard Knocks treatment. You know, a lot of hype, but he's still going to be a good ball player. But he's learning how to play the game. Mike Trout had to take the same path. Came up, went down. Blue Jays fans are weathering through right now an old-fashioned dismantling of their team it's like it's it's well, just unreal what uh yeah you know the the management did just completely undid everything alex Anthopoulos did pretty much over a, a three yeah. to five year period i think in three to five years this could be a good ball club though oh yeah it could be yeah. but right now it the, the seats are sown for the future it's yes. just you're gonna have to bite your lip for the season it's it's a little bit uh, it's a tough tough road to take right now no doubt nba playoffs tonight uh, the milwaukee bucks at home to the boston celtics in game five of their eastern conference semifinal. the bucks can wrap it up with a win and the golden state warriors at home to the houston rockets that series tied at two in their western semifinal. Uh, this has been a great series. The Warriors are—they're uh, not the uh, juggernauts they once were. They're still a very good ball club, and you think they got to win the series, are going to win the series. But uh, Warriors um, are getting everything that they can handle from the Houston Rockets. And tomorrow night, the Raptors will try to punch their ticket to the Eastern Conference Final. They're in Philadelphia in Game Six of that series, up three games to two. All right. Well, the the top story of the day in Edmonton happens to uh, surround this young man. From Happy Camp, California. Here's the throw, Ricky Ray. He's caught it down at the 22 yard line. And 
Mooney's up with it and still going. It is Mookie Mitchell. There's the motion. Porter's in the backfield. He'll protect as Ray will throw to the left side to Fred Stamps. Ooh. It is complete across the 30. Fred Stamps trying to get to the end zone and does. Touchdown Eskimos. Fred Stamps hooking up with Ricky Ray one more time. Make this one 39 yards and the Eskimos have a 9-0 lead. And the 39-year-old Ricky Ray coming off a season-ending neck injury last year while playing with the Toronto Argos, play, has played 17 seasons of pro football, 16 in the CFL, is calling it a career today. And on a conference call, Ricky explained why. You know, this offseason and, you know, kind of what I went through, the process I went through, um, trying to decide on, you know, whether I wanted to play or um, retire. And basically... Um, I wanted to give it the full off season, uh, just to make sure I was 100% committed on, you know, actually what the decision I wanted to do. And um, the more I, I thought about it, um, you know, over the off season, I just physically, I, I just don't think I can perform, you know, at a standard, you know, necessary to play anymore. And you know, every time I had that competitor inside of me saying, you know, hey, you can still do it. You know, there's a lot left to accomplish. Um, you know, I just had the practical voice in my head saying, you know, I just physically, you know, you, you just can't do it anymore. Yeah, you kind of you hate to see it happen the way it did. Uh, a season-ending injury last year and a lopsided loss to the, Mont- or to the uh, Calgary Stampeders um, took a hard hit. You can text in at 6.30, Richard says, still makes me very angry when I think about how the dirty Stampeders prematurely ended Ricky Ray's career. The hit was vicious. It wasn't dirty. It was a legal hit. Okay? It, it was. Um, you know, and Ricky Ray has gone through a lot of adversity as a, a Toronto Argo. Didn't go through very much of it injury-wise with the Eskimos, except for 2007 when he separated his shoulder and the Eskimos lost... Um, I believe every game, I think it was five games left to go, and they were still in the playoff hunt. And then he got injured in a game against Toronto, separated the shoulder, and the Eskimos didn't win a game that season. They missed the playoffs for the second straight season after making it for 34 in a row. Uh, Jason Moss, uh, former teammate of the Eskimos, uh, of uh, Ricky Ray on the Eskimos, former coach of Ricky Ray as well with the Toronto Argos, now the head coach of the Eskimos, not surprised at all that Ricky Ray retired. As my computer has froze. <laughs> oh, that's good. I always like that spinning dial in front of my face. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get to that in a moment. But Ricky Ray's career, and I'll give you his career numbers as a whole in a moment. But as far as his Eskimos career goes, he is first in passing yards you know how do you finish the oh, year and you know maybe after a great cup he would have finished off that but when he comes back gets injured and you know you kind of see the writing on the wall a little bit or that it could be difficult for him to come back i think we've all kind of been uh preparing for this moment uh especially the guys that know ricky uh extremely well um so i'm not surprised that it happened uh it still is a sad sad uh, moment um initially but like i've when we've talked you know, once he decided to do it, and finally today is the day, from this point on, it's all about celebrating his career and what a great player he was and what a great uh, player he was for our league and for two franchises, historic franchises in the league, to lead him. And, um, you know, it's, it's more of a celebration of his career rather than, a, oh, it's over. So what made Ricky Ray so successful? 
he was consistent. I mean, just with his preparation, with who he was as a person and as a football player, I mean, he put in everything into this game. I mean, the way he prepared in offseason, the way he was every single day uh, in training camp uh, during the season, he never took anything for granted. Um, you know, I, you know, th those are my memories of him. You know, his preparation second to none. He does have talent. I mean, there's no questioning his physical abilities, but his mindset and, or his mind is so sharp and, you know, um, just his consistency, his demeanor, all that played into to being who he was. And, you know, uh, he never let any moment get too big. I think everyone, you know, you watch him play and he's always so cool. You can never tell by his demeanor whether they were up, whether he was down, um, you know, and that, that lends to success. You know, there's a lot made about the demeanor of Ricky Ray compared to the demeanor of Jason Moss. Fiery indi individual. And Ricky Ray is not. And Jason Moss says, hey, you know, it's something I, I admire because it's something that's not within me. Uh, it's something that seems unnatural for someone like Ricky Ray. You can't tell if he threw four touchdowns or four interceptions. But is that something that you admire because it's authentic? I, I admire this about him. He stayed that way. You know, he's been himself. And, you know, through 16 years of ups and downs of professional sports, to be able to do that is hard. So there's times you just want to change just for the sake of change or someone wants you to change because they don't see the fire at all. And he's never done that. He's always just, this is me and this is what you're getting. And, you know, and, and it just speaks volumes to me, his character and his integrity and um, just the kind of guy he is and was. And, um, you know, you just can't do nothing but respect the guy to be that way. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, we are totally different in that realm. But I do respect a person that is himself and can be that way. I remember that 2005 year where that was probably the first year where he faced some adversity and a lot of it was unfair and he had to come in and play in two playoff games and help win and then he had a sensational Grey Cup game but that seemed to be the first bit of adversity we saw Ricky face and he he never changed. No and, and like I said that's that's the, the hallmark of him will a lot of people remember that demeanor about him is that there's probably never a cooler quarterback uh, in any situation whether like you say whether you're up whether you're down um, you're, you know, the, it didn't matter to him. I mean, he just always was the same guy. And whether he was really feeling pressure or not, you never could tell. And, you know, it, that's, like I said, it's, it's something to marvel about, something to respect um, as a fellow quarterback and as a person who loves football and, and respects people that do it the right way. And, you know, it's, it's intriguing and uh, at the same time just awesome. You know, and Ricky Ray's career is, uh, it's amazing the numbers that he put up. You know, the only quarterback in CFL history to uh, lead two teams in the CFL in passing yards, the Eskimos and the Toronto Argos, <laughs> that's, that's incredible to me. Um, he has the most touchdown passes career, uh, most completions, attempts, uh, completion percentage. In fact, the only notable record he doesn't have is the highest completion percentage in one season. That's held actually by Mike Riley. In 2016, 70.7% .7 compared to 698 Uh Ricky Ray had that total in 2007. But Jason Moss says there's no doubt Ricky Ray's one of the best ever. He's a legend in the sport in the CFL. I mean, there's I don't think that you can question that. I mean, he's you know he started and won four Grey Cups. He's I believe he's the leader in our franchise in Edmonton. He's the leader in Toronto's franchise in passing. That's hard to do in two storied franchises in the CFL and. Uh, you know, that's 
it's hard to do that. And I mean, there's certainly more accolades than that that you can press upon him. But, uh, you know, he's and, and all through that, you never had to worry about Ricky off the field, on the field. He was a leader in the locker room. He was a leader um, in his own way um, and, and, and in style. Um, so there's no question. I can tell you this. Generally, quarterbacks get, uh, you know, judged by how they win or whether they can win ball games, the big ball games. And I don't think anyone would question putting Ricky back there with needing a drive to score a touchdown to win a great cup. I think a lot of people would put him back there to do that. And, uh, you know, and he'd come through more often than not. Over 60,000 career passing yards. He's just one of four quarterbacks in CFL history to achieve that. Anthony Calvillo, Damon Allen, and Henry Burris. Third overall in all-time completions. Fourth in both attempts and yards. And uh, he is second all-time in career passing uh, completion percentage, 68.1. The new starting quarterback of the Eskimos, Trevor Harris, is actually first all-time at 70.3. Fifth overall in touchdown passes. I remember the game when he uh, recorded uh, 40 passes out of 56 attempts against the Toronto Argos in 2005. That's when uh, Rich Stubler was the uh, defensive coordinator, and I believe he was their head coach at the time. And he hated going against his defense because he played this tight zone match defense, which is basically outnumbering the number of receivers you have to whichever side of the field. He hated it. He hated, he had over 400 yards that game, too. It's just crazy. What's sad, I think, and I don't know why, maybe I shouldn't bring this up on a day when we celebrate Ricky Ray, but it all it kind of annoyed me again today that, and a lot of people appreciate what Ricky Ray did in this city, but when he got traded in December of 2011, that terrible day on a Monday, you know, and some people were happy about it. Hey, a trade's a trade, whatever, okay? People get traded. The return was terrible. Stephen Giles was a terrible return for a starting quarterback. Um, I don't think people started appreciating Ricky Ray until really that season and how good he was. I remember that trade because it actually was done on a Friday. And Cavis Reed was the head coach at the time, and there was a number of people. Ed Hervey was still here as, a, as the head scout. There was a number of people delayed, that said, you delay this trade. So they could convince Eric Tillman, the then general manager, not to do it, but couldn't, couldn't get him to change his mind. And Monday morning, he was officially traded to the Argos. So, Ricky Ray, congratulations on a 16-year CFL career. Nine of them spent with the Edmonton Eskimos, four-time Grey Cup champion, and he will be on the Wall of Honor someday in uh, on the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. 624, back with more in a moment. All right, it is now 7-0 Minnesota Twins over the Toronto Blue Jays. And I believe they're uh, going to the bottom of the third inning. So the Jays, top of the fourth, that is. So the Jays taking it right on the chin. We'll have more on uh, Jason Moss's thoughts on Ricky Ray, who retired today after a 16-year CFL career. Nine of those seasons spent right here in Edmonton with the Eskimos. News is next from the 630 Chat 24-hour news center. Next half hour, the St. Louis Blues. What a run. Early January, the worst team in the National Hockey League. Fast forward to present day, they're in the Western Conference Final. Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins tonight. 6.30, Chad, Inside Sports. You're listening to 6.30, Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
Welcome back to the show, 6.33. Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins tonight. And tomorrow we got game one of the Eastern Conference Final between the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes just after 6 o'clock. The West Final will be determined uh, after tonight's game in San Jose. The Sharks at home to the Colorado Avalanche. That game will get underway in about uh, 35 minutes from now. Um, scuttlebutt is that the West Final will probably start on Saturday. So that would mean we have a show on Friday, and on that show, if it's if that's the way it goes, we will have Kelly Rudy from the NHL on Rogers and much, much more. Uh, still to come tonight, um, we will, I promise, we're going to play Matt Simshock. That interview Reed Wilkins did last week, he's a sales manager for the uh, Riddell Smart Helmets, the uh, new tracking device that uh, the Dalhousie Tigers are going to use for their upcoming uh, football season to uh, basically track head injuries and the impact and it uh, doesn't track concussions. doesn't tell you if a player uh, suffered a concussion, but it's, uh, it definitely can uh, give you a better idea of maybe how concussions are caused and what head impacts are, you know, are basically determined to be lethal and, and not. And I'm sure it's, it's not a blanket kind of thing. It's every, every hit's going to be different. So we'll uh, hear from Matt Shimshock. Also, the Canadian Elite Basketball season uh, will start on Friday. Edmonton Stingers Director of Player Personnel, Steve Sir, will join us. You can text in at 630-630. Where are we at here? Oh, James says, Dave says, it's uh, the two greatest words in sports is Game 7. And thanks to the big rig, they are there. Game 7 overtime. Yeah, there you go. That's from James. (laughs) Yes, Pat Maroon is what he's talking about. George says, no matter how bad the Oilers GM was, he never made a deal as horrible as the Ray trade. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Maybe Brandon Manning was worse. Slightly. Nah, it wasn't. We've seen some bad trades in the city, though. Uh, yes, we have. We have. So let's recap that trade. Uh, Steven Giles didn't work out. Mm-hmm. As far as I remember, I think there was only front to back he played one good game. As his time as an Eskimo in 2012. You can remember one good game he played? Yeah, I really can. I think wow. it was against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He was, he was really good in that game. That's uh, why you are the football guru, Dave. Oh, thank you. <laughs> who else uh, came in that deal? Oh, first-round pick, which ended up being Austin Pastor, offensive lineman, who has never played one down for the Eskimos. Uh, he's been in the NFL ever since. That was no Prefontaine part of the package? No. Or no, no he was, was a signing, right? That was Grant Shaw. Oh, Grant Shaw, sorry. Who actually turned out to be a very good kicker for the Eskimos. And the problem is it's, it's basically Grant Shaw for Ricky Ray, which ended up being Ricky Ray yeah. for nobody because Grant Shaw wasn't signed back in the 2017 season. So <laughs> not, not a good trade at all. Um, another text here. Do you see Ray coaching at some point? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Not this year, but I could see it happening for the 2020 season. So let's just get through 2019 first. And I want you to go up on the wall of honor as soon as possible. I mean, the Eskimos have a tradition of waiting until that player reaches the Hall of Fame. Ricky Ray is a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no point in waiting, in my opinion. Put him up there now. 
Uh, so happy for Patrick Maroon. I remember a few years back when he got so emotional in St. Louis when he scored a goal with his son in the crowd. Last night must have been really special. Oh, I, I bet it was. I bet it was really special for the big rig, one of the most popular Oilers when he played here. Blues have the puck. Thomas off the wall. Shoots, and it's in. Let's they go. score. It's the St. Louis in. Pat Maroon. Bring out the Zamboni. Pat Maroon just put the city on his shoulders, and he sends him to the conference finals. A 2-1 win in double overtime over the Dallas Stars. Dramatic indeed as the Blues are into the Western Conference Final, Chris Kerber is the play-by-play voice of the Blues on KMOX Radio in St. Louis. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us tonight. And, uh, man, what a way to end a, a tremendous series between the Blues and Stars last night. An extremely tight series. Could have gone either way, as we saw. I think the way the, the Game 7 went, the Blues uh, outplayed the Stars and deserved that. But yet again, they were just a bounce away from going home themselves. So... A heck of a series that was destined and should have gone seven games plus more, and it did. Yeah, it, it was kind of a shame it had to end, actually, because this was, uh, I think, the most entertaining uh, second-round series. And I know we got one more uh, the, a series that will get wrapped up tonight in San Jose with the Sharks and the uh, Colorado Avalanche, and that will be the uh, – uh, one of those two will face the Blues in the Western Conference Final. But it seemed like a series, Chris, where, you know, if you want to see high-scoring games, and we mostly saw low-scoring games, uh, just two teams. And if you look at the Blues, how – uh, their skating ability is impressive. The way they're able to lean on opponents is impressive. But the Stars, man, they gave they gave the Blues all they could handle and, and vice versa. Well, you had to start in that. And uh, Ben Bishop and Jordan Bennington both were just excellent throughout the series. They both had a game or, or you know, a goal or two that they probably would like back. But what goal, what game doesn't have that? So uh, those guys were excellent. They gave their Each one of those guys gave their team a chance to win every single game. Then you look at the defense. Two two teams with mobile defensemen. The Blues with just a little bit more seasoning, but oh my goodness, the upside of the Dallas Stars with Heiskanen, with Klingberg, and what they're doing back there is absolutely spectacular. And that, you know, everybody focuses on uh, Klingberg and Heiskanen. It was Essel and Dell that in three games in this series went, uh, I don't know, at least two in over 30 minutes. Was it like 29 on the third one? So amazing job logging some serious minutes uh, for Essel and Dell. So the defense is really bright for the Dallas Stars. And for the St. Louis Blues, obviously, you've got some continued growth of Colton Pareko joining Petrangelo and Bo Meester. And what Joel Edmondson did, you've got the youth uh, of Vince Dunn, who scored that first goal of the game. So the, the defense very good for the St. Louis Blues. And then you've got forward depth. Now, the Blues, I think, had more balance and more depth than the Dallas Stars. But I think the Dallas Stars had a little more high end on their top line with Radulov, Sagan, and Jamie Benn. But in the end, the Blues were able to defend against that top line pretty well as they a lot of times went head-to-head with O'Reilly and Tarasenko. And that's where the Blues' depth was able to come into play in this series. And when you look at the series, every single Blues player that played, except for Carl Gunnarsson and Robert Bertuzzo, picked up a point at some point in time in the series, which shows you the depth that the St. Louis Blues had 
And in the end, I think it was a difference maker. We're joined by the voice of the St. Louis Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 630 Chat Inside Sports. The Blues advancing to the Western Conference final with uh, winning overtime, double overtime yesterday over the Dallas Stars. They'll face either the San Jose Sharks or the Colorado Avalanche uh, in the West final. Well, Patrick Maroon, I think, uh, was one of the uh, most popular Edmonton Oilers. Uh, you know, when he was picked up at the trade deadline a, f- a few years ago, you know, a lot of people didn't really know what they were going to get out of Maroon because uh, his time in Anaheim was kind of souring. Uh, but the change of scenery helped him. 27 goal season two years ago, played with Connor McDavid, um, and such a, a nice guy and, a, and an affable guy. And we all remember uh, from an Edmonton perspective, and I'm sure it, it you know, it kind of went viral when Gene Principe interviewed um, uh, Maroon after a, a, I believe, an overtime win in St. Louis, and he was so choked up with emotion because he was, you know, playing in front of his son in St. Louis. And then he gets to come home, signs the one year contract, scores the game winner in overtime. And and I, I love to see his emotion. He's authentic and uh, a really valuable player. But uh, tell me what uh, what Pat, Mar- Pat Maroon has meant to the St. Louis Blues. Well, it, it was a really interesting season for Pat Maroon, and frankly for the Blues for that matter, because when the Blues were not playing well for the first two months of the season, it looked like Pat Maroon was skating in mud and not playing very well either. And in all fairness, there, there weren't many guys on the team, except for Ryan O'Reilly, that was playing well at the time. And what I've tried to explain to people is when you play the kind of game that Pat Maroon plays, a big game, a grind-it-down-low style of game, a get-your-body-to-the-front-of-the-net, good-hands kind of game, but not much skating speed at all, the reality of it is is when the entire team isn't playing well and they're playing a slow east-west game, they're playing a game without good transition, they're playing a game where the pucks are getting turned over, it's going to make a player that plays that style that Pat plays look extremely bad. Now, was that the style of play that Mike Yo had put in place? I don't think so quite so much. I, uh, I do know that it was cleaned up a bit with Craig Berube, but I just think that it was a situation where there was so much that guys had to accept new roles. And to give you an example, Alexander Steen has to accept the role on a fourth line right now for the St. Louis Blues. This is a guy that's had over 600 points in the NHL. Right. So, when they started to turn their system around and they started to get better defense in front of their net, not giving up great scoring chances, and then the forwards started back-checking, which, is, which allowed a Blues big, tall, mobile defense to be able to close gaps and force turnovers. All of a sudden, skated, instead of having to skate 200 feet up, 200 feet back, 200 feet up, 200 feet back, sometimes when you only had to skate half the rink or even only a third of the rink, and then you're going right back into the offensive zone, well, that helps you out. Well, the St. Louis Blues passing got better. Their transition game got better. Their checking got better. Their overall game got better. And so Pat Maroon got better. And Pat's going to tell you that uh, big help was when Craig Berube put him on a line with Tyler Bozak and Robert Thomas. And even in the interviews that were done last night, he credited those two guys for helping turn the season around. Thomas has the speed. Bozak has the ability to win key faceoffs. And Pat was able to grind it down low. And in the last three months of the season, uh, I don't know if there was a harder player in the National Hockey League to take the puck off of when he was in the corner or behind the net than Pat Maroon. And, and uh, he had a huge series here against the Dallas Stars. A really big goal in Game 3, I think it was, uh, to win the game with under two minutes to go. And then, of course, the ultimate game winner here. There's a picture that's out on social media right now, and it really is a terrific one. Uh, I, I don't know the name of the photographer, and I really need to look up the name of the photographer so he gets credit for this. But there's a picture uh, during the handshake where one
one of uh, the blue crew people were skating in the background with the St. Louis flag. And it happened to be right as Pat Maroon was congratulating and shaking hands with Ben Bishop. Two guys from St. Louis, two guys that played against each other growing up, and a pretty special moment that the key figure in Game 7 for the St. Louis Blues would be Pat Maroon. And in equally as important, the key figure, and the only reason the Dallas Stars were able to stay in that game was, was Ben Bishop, and it, it, it made for a really, really special photo. Yeah, no question about it. As we're joined by Chris Kerber, voice of the St. Louis Blues, here on 630 Chad Inside Sports. Okay, so the Blues opponent either will be the Sharks or the, or the uh, Colorado Avalanche. Um, is there a team that the Blues match up better against, or does it matter? No, I don't think it matters at this point to, to any team when you get to the conference finals. Now, I, I do think that it, it's two very different styles. You've got a deeper team in San Jose with terrific mobile defense, uh, but I don't know that they're as fast. Now, they can play a very good transition game, but the way the Blues need to forecheck and grind things down low, uh, that also seems to be more of a style of the San Jose Sharks as well. The Colorado Avalanche, I don't think they're as deep from a forward standpoint, but like the Dallas Stars, they've got some good speed. They've got some high-end skill up front, obviously, and that one line, that power line that you can put together with Landis, Todd Ranton, and McKinnon. And then there you've got an extremely mobile defense led by Tyson Berry on that front, but then they could also bang the heck out of you with Eric Johnson and Ian Cole. So there's two different styles. Uh, what I think the Blues have shown, to be honest with you, since January 3rd, when they woke up and found themselves in dead last place in the National Hockey League and in a run to get almost to, well, to get to within one point of winning the Central Division by the end of the regular season proved is the Blues were able to adapt to different styles and get wins, whether they were playing the, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning or whether or not they, they were playing the, the Nashville Predators. So uh, they've been pretty chameleon-like when it comes to that. So is there an opponent that fits better? I don't think so. I think the Blues right now. But right now, I think, truthfully, I think the other teams are going, oh, man, we're going to have our hands full with the St. Louis Blues, to be honest with you. And that's a good uh, point by Chris Kerber, the uh, voice of the longtime voice of the St. Louis Blues on KMOX Radio in St. Louis. Whoever matches up against the Blues, they're going to be in tough. And, yeah, Patrick Maroon, uh, (laughs) I tell you, just a remarkable story uh, from St. Louis. Says it was a thrill to score the OT winner. This is every kid's dream. And to do it tonight is really special, especially with my whole family in the stands. And uh, especially to do it for the fans. And we deserve that game tonight. And uh, hasn't really all hit me. Uh, what a roller coaster. It's emotional for sure. But it's probably the biggest goal I've ever scored in my career. You can text in at 6.30, 6.30. This text comes in. Could you imagine if the Oilers could find a guy like Maroon to play with Connor McDavid? Wow, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Patrick Maroon will ever score 27 goals again, but what he did prove is he could skate and he could play with a top player and the most exciting player in the National Hockey League in Connor McDavid. And we saw that with the Anaheim Ducks. I mean, he played with Brian Getzlaff and Corey Perry on their top line uh, when Getzlaff and Perry were really rolling. And he has really found a home. On the Blues, uh, what do you call that? I guess their third line. Uh, Robert Thomas on that line. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that can play the ground and pound game, and I think that's what uh, Craig Berube, the uh, the head coach, has really why he's really got the best out of Pat Maroon is he doesn't have to play the skill game. Now he's pretty good down low below the dots in the scoring area, especially around that crease area. He's very good. He's got a nose for the net. He's got that uh, sweeping move where he gets the puck to his uh, backhand, to his forehand. Uh, he's he's very good down there. 
and uh, the ground and pound game is what Patrick Maroon is good at. So, you know, he's an unrestricted free agent, I believe, at the end of the year, but uh, the way it's going, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick Maroon signs back with the uh, hometown St. Louis Blues. So it'll be fun. Whoever plays the Blues, Sharks or Avalanche, it's going to be a really good series. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Dirty Chad Inside Sports brought to you by Brunch, Northern Chicken Style, Buttermilk Biscuits, Sausage Gravy, Smashed Potatoes. Sunday from 11 until 2, visit northchickenyeg.com. This uh, text comes in. Is it true we could sign Matt Duchesne? Would he work with McDavid? Well, first, I would say most people work with McDavid. Secondly, how in the world can the Oilers make that work? How in the world can the Oilers make that work? He's a center, for one. I guess you could trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins for a bag of pucks, but he's not going to fetch a bag of pucks. He's going to fetch a better return than that. There's no way this team can afford Matt Duchesne. I see where you're going. I see where you're going, Texter. By the way, leave your name. I recommend that. This team needs some skill. Ken Holland talked about that yesterday, the new general manager of the Oilers. But you're not going to get it this way. Could the Oilers get it through a trade? Possibly, but they don't really have a lot of assets to trade. And I'm sure if you even traded Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you're not necessarily going to get the return that you would like necessarily. Even though I think you could fetch a, a decent return. And if you're looking for a defenseman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a nice piece to trade, although it'd be hard to see him go. But you're weakening yourself in one area to help another. So that's tough when you're the Oilers to do that. I think what needs to happen is patience and free agency. I don't see this team as being very active in the early going of free agency. They might sign a couple guys, depth guys, or maybe some help for their farm team. But they got to kind of troll the waters, the deep waters, and see, okay, where are the bargain basement values that we can that we can uh, take advantage of. Or, you know, uh, those that are not qualified, RFAs that are not qualified become UFAs. Because there'll be a few of those as well. So you're going to have to take chance on a few guys. Do you think Cassian is a Maroon-like player and can play on the top line with McDavid or should go back down to the third or fourth line? Um, I would say, even though it looked good in the final 20 games or so of the season, I don't see Zach Cassian as a fit on that top line, like as, as a permanent fixture. I think it, it, it's definitely a card, whoever the new head coach is going to be, that he can play, but I don't think it's a long-term fit. You need a skill guy. Zach Cassian brings a lot to the game. He had a great end of the season. I think he merits some consideration on that line, and maybe they try it. But it's up to the new head coach, whoever that's going to be. But I don't see Zach Kaskin as a permanent top six player. I see him more as a third, fourth line guy. News is next from the 630 Chet 24-hour news center with Cassandra Jodouin. Next hour, we'll talk football helmets and how a new technology from Riddell maybe can help us understand the impact of head injuries. Also, we'll talk about the upcoming 
Canadian Elite Basketball League season. The Edmonton Stingers will open up on Friday. That more, 6.30 Chet Inside Sports after the news. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.